0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every
1: day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Vikings. And I wish you a very happy new year. I'm your host. I'm your pal. I'm the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can follow me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can follow the show at Locked On Vikings. And we have a lot to talk about. We've got a little bit more to go over from the Vikings-Bears game that ended the Vikings season. We won't do too much about that. We also have Black Monday to go over. That was yesterday. A lot of coaching changes happened around the league, so we're going to take a step back from our heartbreaking and disappointing Vikings, look around the league at what's happening, and then we'll actually look at what all of those changes mean for the Vikings and take a look at uh, some of the news the Vikings have had in that regard. But first, let's just follow up on a few of the things that we talked about in yesterday's game recap. Uh, The more advanced stats that Pro Football Focus has are out. One of the ones that I always go to first is pressures that or pressures allowed by the offensive line. It it turned out that uh, Kirk Cousins was pressured more often than he was unpressured in the game, and it makes sense to look at whose fault that is, the biggest culprit is Pat Elfline, and that's really disappointing. You know, we saw, even though he had a rocky rookie season, it kind of seemed like it was was classic rookie stuff, but after getting hurt in the NFC Championship last year and missing most of the offseason and training camp and a little bit of the season... It didn't really seem like he was able to find his bearings all season. He he had a really really rough time. He had like a forty three pass blocking grade, and I don't usually talk about the grades too much on this show, but when it comes to blocking, it's like one of the only like objective scaled measures that we have from a pressure perspective among centers. He ranked about the same, so we can probably trust that. Uh, the point being, from a pass blocking perspective, Pat Elflein was one of the worst centers in the league. You know, a, a game that you would call a struggle for a center is two pressures maybe three allowed in week 17 pat offline allowed six and you know a akeem, akeem hicks is very good eddie goldman's very good but that's just unacceptable the centers are given the advantage of double teams very often or being able to just kind of get a chip so when he's getting credited with that many pressures either the vikings and their protection alignments were far too willing to leave Pat Elfline on an island, or he's playing really, really, really poorly. Elsewhere on the offensive line, Riley Reef and Mike Remmers each gave up five pressures. That's really bad games for both of them. Tom Compton gave up four, and Brian O'Neill, by comparison, looks pretty good, only giving up three. Uh, Brian O'Neill now will officially finish his rookie season. I think he had like 464 snaps, uh, and gave, gave up zero sacks he was credited for zero sacks there was one that you can maybe call his fault pro football focus did not and according to those same standards i think there are only two other tackles in the league that have ever done that in their rookie season and it puts Brian o'neill in some pretty elite company so as, as frustrated as we are we all are with the offensive line and probably later on this show i'll do like a whole offensive line episode just one episode dedicated to the whole thing that is a bright spot, and we, we've seen Rick Spielman hit on the draft on an offensive lineman. At least it appears to be right now. He played very well. Hopefully he can stay healthy and, and not fall apart Matt Khalil style. But seeing that kind of success in the draft, on the offensive line, with this front office is a really, really sorely needed sight, and I say that we should go right back into the 2019 draft and try to do that exactly again. Let's get another good tackle in the draft and maybe some more depth at guard on the receiving end of all of this pressure was Kirk Cousins who has you know notoriously been very prone to make mistakes under pressure we saw it all season you know with the with the fumbles and some of the really boneheaded passes uh but he's usually been very consistent in a clean pocket which is far more predictive in week 17 we actually saw an outlier of that we we saw Kirk Cousins struggle even in against clean pockets when the pass rush did not get there, he wasn't even that much better than he was under pressure. He was, uh, I think it was like 3.7 yards per attempt versus 4.3 and the PFF grade wasn't that different. That's them basically saying, yeah, he was about as bad under pressure as he was when not under pressure. And to have a game like that in the game where the pressure happened the most is, I guess, a little lucky when you think about it from the perspective of like, okay, well, at least it didn't matter. Um, Obviously, you know, there may be some game theory effects where pressure mounts over and over and over again, and the the more pressure you're under, it starts to affect your process in clean pockets. I'm sure that happens. Um, But I guess it also points out that there's really a multiplicity of issues, that, that things cannot be boiled down to one singular problem. The offensive line was really bad in that game, but so was Kirk Cousins, and they weren't bad because of each other. Turning to the other side of the ball, there were a couple of kind of established superstars that really had a struggle in this game, and, you know, the defense didn't play horribly. They gave up 24, that's not really a banner day for anybody, but... They really faltered in the worst moments. and you know, you're gonna blame this game on the offense 10 times over before you blame it on the defense, but it still bears mentioning that Sheldon Richardson was shut out completely cleanly in this game for the second time this year. That's pretty good to only have that happen for the second time. As a defensive tackle, getting pressure is not really as expected as for like edge rushers like Daniel Hunter and everson Griffin. But getting shut out in this moment is really disappointing for somebody that, is, you know, in a one-year deal looking for that big, giant contract, this is not the note you want to end on. Um, Now, I've already said on this podcast that I am extremely for extending Sheldon Richardson, and one game isn't going to change that, but it does bear mentioning that this is a pretty bad one from him. And in the secondary, very surprisingly, Harrison Smith struggled a lot. He was targeted four times and allowed three of them to be caught, including that one big long one to Kevin White on third down. That was a really bad play. That's more than you want a safety to have, and definitely more than you would ever expect from Harrison Smith. It's not the kind of day that would even really make you bat an eye from a lesser safety, but from Harrison Smith, it's really unfortunate to see that kind of game come in a do-or-die moment. In fairness to him, he did log four run stops. Now, I've explained on the show before, but if you're new, a run stop is something that pro football-focused tracks, and it basically means a tackle that constituted a loss for the offense. So if they go from first to 10 to second and eight, they're in a worse situation than they were before, and whoever made that tackle gets credited with a run stop. Harrison Smith had four of those, and for a safety and run support, that's being extremely productive, so he does deserve credit for that. All in all, it was just a really disappointing day. There were some players that had really nice games, and there were a lot of players that just didn't show up in the biggest moment. And it really is difficult to evaluate this game because it often doesn't reflect the rest of the season. You know, Kirk Cousins struggling in a clean pocket doesn't reflect the rest of Kirk Cousins' career. So you might be inclined to throw this one out as an outlier, but it came in such an important moment that you really can't do that. So we'll, we'll look more at the rest of the season, including this game a lot, especially over this next month when we don't have any more Vikings football to talk about. But for now, we're going to put it to bed and move on to the coaching carousel and the news from around the league. We're going to take a really quick break first, and then we're going to talk about staff changes, what the Vikings should or shouldn't do, and what everything going on around the league has to do with our favorite team. And we are back. So Black Monday was yesterday, and a lot of teams made extremely important franchise-altering decisions. It's named Black Monday because a lot of people lose their jobs, and I think the somberness of that has to be respected, right? A lot of kids are being pulled out of school. They're going to have to move across the country to go be with their dad's new team. But from a franchise angle, from an evaluation angle, it's a really interesting day. A lot of decisions are being made that are going to have really long-lasting and really intense impacts. So we had already lost two coaches uh, mid-season. The Packers fired Mike McCarthy a few weeks ago. Hugh Jackson was fired from the Browns in the middle of the season. And those vacancies haven't been officially filled, but they have, you know, head starts on the market. They know who they want and who they're talking about. The Browns actually uh, talked to Kevin Stefanski. We're going to get to that a little bit later. But moving on to the coaches that were fired on Monday, The biggest fish I think that was fried was Marvin Lewis. He ended a 16-year tenure with the Bengals that started with a really truly amazing accomplishment that I think he should always be honored for because the Bengals, before Marvin Lewis took over, were a complete disaster. They were like some of the teams we really make fun of now, you know, like the Browns and the Jets and etc., the, the Bengals were really a mess and Marvin Lewis took that team over and brought them back to relevance and they made the playoffs a bunch of years in a row, but unfortunately his legacy is always going to be 0-7 in the playoffs. Unless he gets another head coaching gig and can win a playoff game, his legacy is always going to be his teams couldn't win in the big games. And I, I think, I don't know how fair that is. I mean, 0-7, at that point it's a pattern, right? But on the whole... Playoff games tend to be fluky, right? They're your entire season coming down to one game. This weekend, wildcard weekend, four teams are going to have the exact same fate. They're going to make the playoffs, have a 16-game season that they're all very excited about right now that are going to end with a one-and-done. And And I don't know if it's the best evaluation to look at that one game and say that it renders the other 16 completely irrelevant when we're trying to evaluate, you know, the legacy of a coach or, or evaluate how good of a coach that guy is. With Marvin Lewis, obviously, the just the length of it and seven in a row, that's a, a pretty different situation, and, and that's probably going to dominate his legacy, not the turnaround of the mid-aughts with the Carson Palmer and all of the unbelievable runs that they had. I think if you're looking at Marvin Lewis's legacy as a coach, you got to look at both. So moving on, the Jets parted ways with Todd Bowles, which is a move that kind of everybody saw coming. He, after uh, taking over a few years ago, never really got the Jets to a point where he could be proud of them. There was one magical Ryan Fitzpatrick year, and there were some magical times with Josh McCown, but on the whole, the Jets were always a disappointing also-ran, and he lasted a lot longer than coaches tend to last when your team is like that. So going into the 2017 season, last season, everybody kind of thought the Jets would be an 0-16, you know, 1-15, first overall draft pick type of team, but then they got off to like a 3-3 start, which is way better than anybody thought the Jets would be, And, and they were really buying into what Todd Bowles had to say, and I think that saved his job for one year too many, because he now had kind of the the worst timing that you want as a franchise. You have your coach that helps handpick what the quarterback that's supposed to be your guy for the next like 15 years, right? Cuz you drafted him 3rd overall and then you can him in the first year and somebody else has to now inherit Sam Darnold. Now I think for the Jets, they're pretty lucky. Sam Darnold looks like a guy that if you're a head coaching candidate, you want a coach. He looks like somebody that really can have a future in this league and that means you can too if you're the coach. But In terms of Todd Bowles, it's really rough to see a coach's tenure go out like that, with a lot of opportunity and really just not a lot to show for it. So, moving on, the Denver Broncos parted ways with Vance Joseph. The big headline over there is that for the first time in like a whole bunch of years, the Denver Broncos had back-to-back losing seasons. And this is really a far cry from what people thought of the Broncos going into the season. They had finally fixed their quarterback thing. They got Case Keenum, who everyone was still very high on. I think the Vikings knew what was going to happen to the Broncos, and I think a lot of Vikings fans knew what was going to happen to the Broncos. But from a a distance, for a, a fan of another team or somebody who hasn't been close with the Vikings throughout that whole season, you might be inclined to have thought like, hey, this guy went to the NFC Championship. Now we have that quarterback. He's got this schoolyard fun, you know, improvisational thing. I think we can make something out of this. And unfortunately, it didn't come together. And considering that and the weird like Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch season that was last season, it's not surprising to see Vance Joseph go. The Dolphins let go of Adam Gase. Uh, As I'm recording this, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of rumors that he's getting called for a whole bunch of interviews, which I find really fascinating that somebody can go from the season that the Dolphins had, which is really disappointing, and a lot of it was Adam Gase's uh, fault. You know, he w- when we talked to Locked On Dolphins before the Vikings-Dolphins game, you kind of got the sense that he was a very polarizing figure there, and the second he's kicked out of that town, all the other teams are, like, lining up to interview him. I find that really fascinating. We'll see where his career goes from here, but Considering his Dolphins tenure and considering the things that kind of led him to rise to that point He kind of rode the coattails of Peyton Manning quite a bit and he he was in a lot of favorable situations I'm really interested to see if he can make something work without a Peyton Manning on the roster Tampa Bay got rid of Dirk Ketter. That is extremely disappointing for Tampa Bay If you remember the circumstances in which Dirk Ketter was hired, the Buccaneers had Lovey Smith as a coach, and he actually had that team playing reasonably with Jameis Winston. They were kind of on the cusp of the playoffs. They appeared to be rising, and they got rid of Lovey and they went with Dirk Ketter, who was somebody they had kind of been grooming through the organization to be like the head coach. Kind of reminds me of the way the Vikings view Kevin Stefanski right now. You know, a guy who's been with the organization forever, a guy who's got all the experience, a guy who's kind of been waiting in the wings for his opportunity. That was Dirk Ketter. And and this is really an ugly moment for Tampa Bay where they gave up on a very well-tenured coach in Lovie Smith for this guy who really didn't work out. and he, He had the Buccaneers basically irrelevant for his entire tenure there. And the last one, at least that I know about of this recording, is uh, Steve Wilkes for the Arizona Cardinals. A one and done, and that is super disappointing. Coming into the season, the Cardinals had Sam Bradford, who was going to be a reasonable stopgap for their super exciting young rookie, Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen is a quarterback that I loved a lot coming out of the draft. He really has not lived up to that. Long way to go for him, but it's not off to a good start. But you can't go 3-13 and 13 in your first year, get the first overall pick, and expect to be anointed with a second season. And it, it really seems, just looking at Cardinals media and Cardinals fandom, that a lot of the problems that Arizona had are being pinned on Steve Wilkes. Now, Steve Wilkes was delta, dealt a pretty crappy hand, right? Sam Bradford made it like three games before he got benched for playing so poorly. Josh Rosen wasn't ready. David Johnson really just wasn't the guy that steve wilkes thought he was inheriting a lot of the pieces that make arizona tick weren't there you know they lost her matthew and now arizona is in this kind of same moment where the jets are where they have this young quarterback and they need to find a guy that's going to make him sing and fast if, if josh rosen has a another bad season or two you're going to start seeing arizona really crater so they're at a moment where they really need to salvage the direction of their franchise And before we wrap up this segment, there's one thing that I do want to mention with Black Monday, and that is that it was not a very good day for minority head coaches. Think of the six guys I just talked about. Uh, Four of them are African-American. That's really uh, unfortunate. Now, I don't think that there is—in this case, I think it's important to kind of look at the merits of their firings and say, okay, were any of those sketchy or were any of those, like— unfounded, and I don't think so, right? Marvin Lewis had this a long time coming, Todd Bowles had this a long time coming, Vance Joseph had a really poor tenure. Uh, A lot of these firings, like, it's very hard to look at any single one of them and say, oh, there's, like, an ulterior motive here, but the pattern is troubling from a distance if you don't look deeper into it. That said, all the opportunities that these firings open up, appear to be very favorable toward other minority candidates. The candidates uh, Eric Biennemi of the Chiefs is getting some looks. If you recall, he was Adrian Peterson's running back coach for a long time here. And as these positions begin to fill up, hopefully we'll see representation kind of rebalance itself out. I am going to hold my judgment on this until the positions all get refilled and we know exactly where the league stands. There's a lot more decisions to be made and a lot more shuffling to do. So we are going to step away one more time for a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the future of Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer and some of the news that went around on Black Monday, uh, read that, and just where the coaching staff kind of goes from here. And we are back. So the Wilfs were asked during the chaos of Black Monday, hey, are you going to do anything major with Zimmer or Spielman? You know, a a lot of people wanted Mike Zimmer to be fired or held accountable for what happened to a a pretty good roster this season, or they want to hold Rick Spielman accountable for the failures of the offensive line for the umpteenth year in a row. The Wolves answered and basically said, no, we're not going to do any shakeups at this time. You know, we really believe in these guys. Uh, It is worth noting that both of their contracts are up after the 2019 season. So we'll see kind of what happens over the course of this next year, if we see extensions or anything like that. But for now, we can pretty safely assume that those guys are safe. And I want to talk a little bit about the merits of that decision, because it's a really big moment, right? If the Vikings were to fire Zimmer and or Spielman, doing it now would be the most opportune time, and it would be a chance for the franchise to pretty much reset, tear it all down, and start building again. And this is a really bad time to do that. When the Vikings signed Cousins, as much as I have been a hater toward that move and I've I've been very vocal about the problems that I have with it, but it is a commitment that they made for three years. And whether or not they have Zimmer or Spielman or someone else, Kirk Cousins is the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings for 2019 and 2020. He has like 60 million dead on his contract and he has a no trade clause. He's here to stay. Now, when you fire a coach, and even more so when you fire a GM, you really throw a wrench in the immediate season following that. And sometimes you need that, right? Like, the Jets needed to start over. They needed to get rid of Todd Bowles, and they're going to have to be okay with the first year after this, with 2019 not being quite as good, because, hey, the coach is in his first year, right? Now, the league is getting a lot more win now as the years go on, you know, patience is really wearing thin, we're starting to see a lot more Vance Josephs and Steve Wilkes and a lot less situations like Mervyn Lewis and Todd Bowles. But if you look at the reasons that the Vikings failed, a lot of them can be chalked up to a lack of continuity. The offensive line has gone through a bunch of offensive line coaches, some of it by the Vikings choice, and unfortunately some of it was out of their control. There's been a ton of turnover on offensive coordinators, there's been a ton of turnover at the quarterback position, and a lot of that really added up to a lack of chemistry throughout the entire year. So adding more change is only going to make that problem worse. Now, obviously, this doesn't absolve Rick Spielman of criticism and Mike Zimmer of criticism. There's a lot of things that Mike Zimmer did throughout the year that I think were really unacceptable, and I think that we can all agree that Rick Spielman has done a really poor job of scouting and acquiring offensive line. He's had a lot of failures, and I think Reef and Remmers might get added to that list very soon. But if you're going to make the decision to get rid of guys like that, you need to be okay with it basically tanking the next year and a half of your franchise. And by the way, the Vikings just set themselves up so that the next year or two of the franchise is the Super Bowl window. So you're really going to commit, if you're going to get rid of these guys, you're going to commit to low expectations for 2019 okay expectations for 2020, and then everybody's contracts are up and the whole team falls apart and then you go back to rebuilding for 2021. That's the future that you're asking for. I don't think that's better than the future you get by keeping Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman on board. It would be especially inappropriate, I think, to fire Rick Spielman for his offensive line failings when he finally had his really best off... He's coming off his best offensive line draft pick of his entire career at this point, which is Brian O'Neill, And its he's still a rookie, and there's still a long way to go, but that's the way that things are trending. So it would be pretty inappropriate to punish him for a problem that he seems to be working through and taking steps towards fixing. And when it comes to Mike Zimmer... I think the criticisms levied toward him are more of like leadership and motivation and oh, they come out flat in big games too often or just the he can't win the big one. It's all very nebulous that that in terms of evidence isn't very strong because it really doesn't mean anything. I I want to see evidence that you can measure in a way that is meaningful and predictable. And maybe that's my a little bit more analytical brain coming into play here. But I think if you have a reason to make large franchise altering decisions, you should be able to do so with a lot of very hard, very concrete evidence backing you up. And that doesn't mean stats. I'm not that's not what I'm asking for. It it means something that is objective And something that you can really point to, okay, this is something that Mike Zimmer is bad at. And if we get really any other coach, they'll be better at that. And I don't think there's many examples of that. And I think losing Mike Zimmer, you'll really lose a lot of the things that have made this team competitive in the last five years. You know, his ability to develop defensive backs... You know, we've seen Mike Mackenzie Alexander even come through. We saw Holton Hill and Undrafted Free Agent come through and play at a starting caliber level, nay, a good starting caliber level. We've seen a guy like Trey Waynes, who really wasn't fit to be an NFL quarterback in this day and age, cornerback in this day and age, with his stiff hips and the problems that he had, really come on strong this year, and not to mention Xavier Rhodes, which is kind of his magnum opus. You're going to lose that. I, I think, you know, Jerry Gray is a great defensive backs coach, and I'm a big fan of his, but I think if you lose Mike Zimmer... You're not going to have that same ability to develop a young guy like Mike Hughes or whoever else is going to come into this team. Firing coaches does damage to a franchise. I I think if there is going to be one headline, one thesis statement from this entire segment, it's that firing top level staff does damage to a franchise. And sometimes that damage is worth it when you have a guy like Steve Wilkes that went, you know, three and 13, a guy like Hugh Jackson that is very clearly holding the franchise back. But in a situation like the Vikings are in, where they have a lot of star players in their prime and that clock is ticking, you don't want to throw away future years because you're angry in the moment. And I think the Wils did a very good job of, of stepping out, looking at the big picture and realizing that getting rid of those guys would be completely insane. It'd be the worst thing to happen to the Vikings in years. Now, if we are sitting here a year from now at the end of 2019, the team was 5-11, and 11, and they clearly aren't there, then yes, I, I think you have to really take a look at the high level leadership. But 2019 would have to play out that way for that to be the case, and I don't think the odds of that are very high. I think if we're going to revisit this point in like June and July when everybody's hyper optimistic, and if you asked any Vikings fan, hey, are they going 5-11 and 11 next year? I don't think you're going to get a lot of people that say yes to that question. And until that's what happens, I'm ride or die with Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman as the brain trust of the Minnesota Vikings. So with that, we are going to wrap up this episode. Uh, A little bit of housekeeping. Usually at this point for the Wednesday and Thursday shows, I would start previewing the next game. Obviously, there isn't one to really talk about. So I think we're going to start with a little bit of the post-mortem stuff. I really want to go through the roster in a detailed way. So we'll probably do a lot of specialized... I talked about it earlier in the show. Like a specialized... This is the offensive line episode. A specialized kind of Kirk Cousins deep dive episode. Specialized, like here's how the coverage... Or this is the, the coverage special uh and we'll also not completely ignore the playoffs that go on uh the thursday show will probably be a wildcard weekend preview because football is still really cool even when the vikings are playing and i think if you're listening to this show you're probably interested in watching the playoffs all weekend so thank you guys so much for listening you can follow me at Luke lukebrunn nfl on twitter you can follow the show at locked on vikings we're probably still going to do bold predictions for wildcard weekend so uh, get those ready, start thinking about them, and I will see you tomorrow. School. Hey, sports fans. My name's Ben
0: and I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune in to Locked on Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked on Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.